The recent decision by the United States to print hundreds of billions of new dollars was designed to kickstart the world's biggest economy. It also sparked fears of a global currency war, with Asian countries looking for ways of lowering the value of their currencies, which have soared against the plummeting greenback. The New Zealand dollar has also surged against the U.S. currency, but policymakers here seem reluctant to act to clip the flying kiwi's wings. In this Radio New Zealand Insight program, economics correspondent Nigel Sterling looks at what's holding them back and if anything can be done to avoid becoming collateral damage in a global currency war. If money makes the world go round, as the song says, the globe has risked spinning off its axis since the financial crisis hit in 2008. Since then, the central banks of the United States and Britain have printed trillions to try to stave off a 1930s-type depression. But, unfortunately, more money doesn't necessarily make those printing it richer, while it can be downright toxic for others. Money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around. Money makes the world go around, of that we can be sure. I'm being poor. Faced with low interest rates in the US and a sick currency, investors are bailing out of America. They're flooding the fast-growing Asian economies with cash, threatening a new bubble and more instability in the world economy. But Asia has shot back, buying trillions of US dollars in an attempt to keep its own exchange rates down and protect export industries. The US dollar's slump is pushing up the Kiwi dollar and creating problems for exporters here. Our normal hours are um, 6 in the morning till 3. So we've just gone past 3, so it's a bit quieter now. But the guys are doing a bit of overtime. We've got a lot of equipment we have to get out of here uh, by the end of January. One... um, one order is uh, for equipment that's heading up into Vietnam, and another order, which I think is probably just passing to January, is for equipment that's heading up into the USA. Peter McKee is the chief executive of Porirua's Windsor Engineering, employing 60 workers. The firm makes dryers for the dairy industry and extraction fans for timber mills, both for the domestic market and overseas. Imported competition is more attractive with the, with the high US dollar, particularly in the euro. Some of our major competition comes out of Europe. For us exporting, it makes it challenging. We've had to realign our export strategy. Um, as we've recently won some good work in the USA, um, but it probably works out about half the value of the project will actually come back and be manufactured out of New Zealand. We've had to look at sourcing more product and manufacturing in that local market. The exchange rate with the Australian dollar, however, in early December fell to its lowest point in a decade. That's giving some exporters, like Windsor's Peter McKee, some relief. One of our strategies this year, we recently acquired a business out of Auckland. We bought it into, into, into our business 
and one strategy we have with that business is to take it into Australia. It's an industrial fan manufacturing business, IPSCO, and we see some opportunities in Australia and we're just developing our plans there. And I guess the, um, the current level of the dollar is attractive there, but in all honesty, it's at quite a low level historically. You need to be building your business around a higher exchange rate into Australia at the moment, but we'll take advantage of the low one while it, while it exists. Fortunately for the primary industries, the Kiwi surge has coincided with very high prices on world markets. Booming Chinese demand pushed the ANZ's Commodity Price Index in November to its highest level since 1986. Wool prices are perennial underperformer and usually very sensitive to changes in the US dollar are at 14-year highs. Wool exporter Cigar Massarau's Peter Whiteman says the Kiwis' lift against the greenback since March 2009 suppressed prices to farmers. We were actually getting very good prices in US dollars and euro, much better prices, but it wasn't translating back to the farmer in that it was being undermined by a rising currency. So this lift in wool prices has been going on for quite a long time, but the farmers have never seen it because it was being eroded away with quite a dramatic rise in the currency. But Peter Whiteman says the dollar used to keep exporters and farmers alike awake at night, but not so much now. The balance of supply and demand in wool in the world now has really taken over from the the currency fluctuations which used to make the market move virtually in line with the currency. These days it's, it's core supply and demand, so we're not at the mercy of the currency like we used to be, that's for sure. A higher currency also makes imports cheaper, making incomes go further. A one-cent rise in the Kiwi against the US dollar, for example, cuts petrol prices by 1.3 cents at the pumps. But with shopkeepers already discounting heavily to boost lacklustre sales, it may take longer for the effects to be felt. John Albertson is the chief executive of the Retailers Association. If you look at the introduction of the higher GST level, price points haven't shifted. You know, people who are selling goods at 49.95 are still selling them at 49.95. They certainly didn't go to 51.06 or whatever the calculation is. What's important in the market at the moment is what is the price point for that particular item. And irrespective of what happens to the cost of the goods or the currency or any of those other issues, those price points will still be adhered to. So it actually reflects a movement in margin from the retailer. So this higher currency at the moment might actually allow some of those retailers what to restore a bit of margin, pay off a bit of the overdraft, rather than necessarily being reflected in lower prices. It will, it will depend on, on, a, on a market by market basis, because the one thing we're seeing with retail at the moment, there is no sort of general across the board feeling as to where retail's heading. It is very patchy, so and various sectors of it are competitive to a different extent. So in some sectors you'll see it being passed through in price, and others there may be a little bit of margin restored. So if you're not a shopkeeper or an exporter riding the commodity price boom, life will be tougher. Work by Westpac shows since 1992, prices for dairy, lamb, apples and aluminium tend to move in tandem with the dollar. So if prices on world markets fall for these commodities, the New Zealand dollar falls in sympathy, insulating returns. Prices for wool, beef, forestry and seafood tend to move in the opposite direction from the dollar. When these products become cheaper on the world market, experience shows the currency has actually risen, delivering a double blow. The Prime Minister John Key recently expressed some concern about this situation. The truth of it is there's a lot of pressure going on in our economy for parts of uh, the business sector which... uh, 
whether it's not linked to commodities or they're not exporting to Australia. The Finance Minister Bill English in this year's budget singled out high overseas debt as the country's single biggest vulnerability. A legacy of a decade-long property-buying binge, it's as high as European strugglers, Greece, Ireland, Portugal and Spain. Exports are critical to getting debt down or risk foreign financiers finally losing patience and cutting up the nation's credit card. Kerry MacDonald is the head of the government-appointed task force looking at national savings. He says the dollar needs to come down if the export sector is going to get New Zealand out of its debt hole. Why are we running balance of payments deficits, which are leading to all of this growth in net foreign liabilities? Because basically we are not competing effectively in export markets or in the import substitution markets. And I believe that's because the tradable goods sector, in fact, is just having a very tough time. It's partly because of exchange rates, partly because of interest rates. And the situation could get worse, with analysts picking the Kiwi to again be one of the strongest performers in the world next year. One of those analysts, Westpac's Imray Spizer, believes the currency could breach its post-float high of 82.2 US cents. So the outlook fundamentally for our currency is very, very strong. Aussie's broken parity and it's likely to make a new high over the next few months. Uh, There's no reason why the Kiwi dollar can't do the same thing. Now, that's assuming uh, no great shocks on the offshore front from uh, places like Europe or the United States. South Korea and Japan have intervened in currency markets this year in response to the sinking US dollar. The country's central banks flooded the markets with their own currencies in an attempt to bring down their exchange rates. Investment bank Nomura estimates Asian countries alone this year have bought five trillion US dollars in the process. Ganesh Nana, the chief economist at Business and Economic Research Limited, or BIRL, says the same should be done here. We need a New Zealand reserve bank that goes out quite strongly and says quite clearly and loudly that the New Zealand dollar is unsustainable at the level it is. It is doing serious damage to our ability to export. It's doing serious damage to our long-term sustainability. And if push comes to shove, and I think it's well past push comes to shove, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand needs to be in the market ensuring that the New Zealand dollar is bid down. So it needs to be in the market buying foreign currency. We can print New Zealand currency if we have to. Many, many other countries are doing the same. Why should we be the ones that take the hit? But intervention in the currency markets is not an option the Reserve Bank Governor, Alan Bollard, is ready to embrace. Pushed by opposition MPs at recent select committee appearances, Dr Bollard played down its effectiveness. One of our tests is whether or not it would be opportune in a market to actually have effects. I think it's pretty clear from the record of the Japanese who are prepared to try this uh, with very large amounts of yen and the Swiss who also spent some time trying to try it this year, that that sort of thing can have an initial effect but it really has an enduring effect if the major driver for these currency moves is offshore. And he's played up the risks, including potential losses to the bank on foreign reserves if the Kiwi continued to rise. We've recorded over $100 million loss this last year, and that is basically off the back of foreign exchange intervention. We still think that entirely was the right thing to do, and that overall we should come out ahead, not behind. But there's big risk, as you can see, around the balance sheet as a result of that. And uh, 
August institutions like the Swiss National Bank are at the minute looking at very big losses on their balance sheet as a result. The Labour Party has for a year or more said it will make monetary policy more exporter friendly if elected. Its finance spokesperson David Cunliffe says that could include more risky currency interventions. The last time that the bank employed tactical exchange intervention a couple of years ago when the US dollar was at similar levels, the trade weighted index was slightly higher than it is now. Although they were exposed to some unrealised mark-to-market losses in terms of the realised position on balance, they made a significant upside and that was returned to the taxpayer in the form of a dividend cheque. Now, it's not a one-way street, but uh, I I think perhaps the, the bank's being a little modest. But there are also other potential snags, with a country's central bank flooding the markets with its own currency. As former Reserve Bank Governor Don Brash explains. The problem is, unlike the Americans, which are facing the possibility of deflation, if we did this in New Zealand without mopping up those New Zealand dollars, we would quite quickly have inflation. And while that uh, might weaken the currency in nominal terms, it wouldn't help our exporters at all because they'd face sharply increasing costs domestically. Economic textbooks will tell you that pumping more money into an economy without increasing the supply of goods and services pushes up prices. These inflationary effects from selling New Zealand dollars could be counted if the Reserve Bank borrowed them back. But the process known as sterilisation would increase the central bank's liabilities and therefore the government's debt. Hardly something the government wants in the year it battles a $15 billion cash deficit, its largest since being elected. Some bastions of the free market, though, like the International Monetary Fund, now recognise countries will want to act to stem rising currencies. In October, its managing director, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, endorsed temporary capital controls as one tool. We can understand that some element of capital controls can be put in place. Of course, this is temporary because there's no way to avoid long-term flows to change with capital controls. But if it may help to avoid disruptive volatility, then there's no reason not to use it. Capital controls, such as taxing money flows into a country, lowering demand for the local currency, are contentious. Eight Asian countries this year have implemented measures to try to maintain exporter-friendly exchange rates. The Labour Party has also floated the idea of a tax on capital flows into the country as part of its rethink of monetary policy. A former chief economist at the Reserve Bank, David Mays, says such a move would be risky for New Zealand. Take one of our main imbalances, which is that the Australian banks here import a lot of their funds from overseas. If there was to be a decision that they, because we were restricting the import of capital, that uh, they would then reduce what they were doing in their their transactions, that would have an enormous effect right across the economy. Uh, Yes, it would drive the exchange rate down, but whether that's the sort of way you want the solution is very questionable. Labour's David Cunliffe notes capital controls have had the support of the Reserve Bank in the past. The bank in 2007 suggested taxing interest payments to foreigners under a so-called approved issuer levy. It said at the time that the tax could have had a small effect on keeping a lid on the dollar during the last housing boom. Mr Cunliffe says Labour is still considering capital controls and what effects they might have on the economy. 
I would hasten to add that consideration doesn't mean implementation unless the results of that consideration are positive. So there's a way to go on this issue. And of course there are a lot of questions of detail around what types of flows would be captured and how could that be implemented. And, and that's work that has yet to be done. So I don't want to overstate Labor's position. On the other hand, um, I think the bank has raised a, a very fair question and it's been raised again by the IMF and as we've discussed, it may be that uh, this is something that might affect the composition of flows more than the aggregate level, although it might affect both. Labor is also tossing around the idea of compelling banks to hold more capital against the loans they make. The idea is part of a reworking of the global banking system to make it more stable following the global financial crisis. But Labor believes such policies here could help prevent a property bubble and keep the currency at exporter-friendly levels. A debt fueled housing boom pushes up the currency's values in a number of ways. Firstly, as house prices rise, owners feel wealthy and spend more, putting upward pressure on prices across the economy. To keep inflation in check, interest rates rise, attracting investors who buy currency to invest in high-earning local deposits. A second way is through local banks borrowing offshore to finance home loans. As those banks convert foreign currency to New Zealand dollars, so the value of the Kiwi goes up. Kerry MacDonald, who heads the government savings task force, says the Kiwi would be lower if banks borrowed less offshore. There's a lot of evidence that the higher the level of debt, external debt a country's got, the more that affects various aspects of the economy. And one is it tends to raise external interest rates. The other is that it tends to lead to a higher exchange rate. And the level of the New Zealand's exchange rate, I think, is quite a critical issue now. And the IMF view is that the, our level of indebtedness is probably adding 20% plus to our exchange rate on a trade-weighted basis. But for the banks to borrow less overseas, New Zealanders need to save more. The Institute of Economic Research has estimated the impact of reducing New Zealand's foreign debt to Australia's levels. Foreign creditors less anxious about the country's ability to service its debts would slash the interest they charge. The Institute's chief executive, Jean-Pierre Durard, says that should take pressure off the exchange rate. Lower interest rates could also have a positive effect on other parts of the economy, albeit at a short-term cost. We said, well, let's aim for a scenario where we can reduce our net foreign liability from about 86% of GDP today, and that's about $165 billion, to something that's closer to Australia, which would be around 60% of GDP. If you do that over a period of 10, 15 years, that would involve us reducing our propensity to consume from 84 cents in the dollar to 80 cents in the dollar. In terms of household savings, that would mean $75 a week of savings. That's a lot of money if it was only to occur in households, but you know, if you think about households and government together, that's kind of the order of magnitude. So that's kind of like a, a short-term cost. But if that indeed leads to a reduction of the net foreign liabilities that we have, it will reduce the interest payments that we make overseas. So in 15 years' time, we'd be paying $10 billion less a year than we otherwise would in interest payments. That's money that we can consume then. And because of the investment effects, it will also mean that labour would be more productive and that would raise wages. 
Now, in our scenario, that would raise wages by about 7% compared to what it otherwise would have been. And this would make New Zealand more competitive, more able to handle a higher exchange rate over time? That's right. Yeah, so once we start consuming more, again, because we have to pay less money back overseas, that will lead to an appreciation of the exchange rate again. But we'll be in a much better space. We'll be more competitive. We'll have a better capital-to-labour ratio. One of the diagnoses of why New Zealand isn't performing as well as as we might is that we've got a a low capital-to-labour ratio. Increased investment would help that. But since the global financial crisis, New Zealanders have been changing their ways, spending less and saving more. And the Kiwi has still surged to close to, or exceeding, multi-decade highs against the greenback and the pound. The New Zealand dollar jumped a cent against the US overnight to reach its highest point in two and a half years. It's reached just on 79.5 US cents. The Australian dollar... The New Zealand dollar has hit its highest level in more than two years against its American counterpart and is currently trading at around 76.7 cents. Yesterday the dollar closed at just under 46 cents to the pound, its highest level in 25 years. It's also trading at a 14-month high against the greenback and it's tipped to go higher. There are fears New Zealand will be on the losing side of a currency war being waged between the major economies. ASB chairman in Auckland QC, Gary Judd, believes there could be another way to tame the surging Kiwi. He believes international, rather than New Zealand policy decisions, are the answer to a more competitive exchange rate. Mr Judd represents New Zealand businesses at the annual Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, meetings. At this year's meeting in Japan, he called for a regional currency unit covering the 21 APEC economies. Mr Judd says the currency, which he dubs the APEC-U, would replace the US dollar as the currency of trade for the region. The APEC-U would be based on not just one currency, but the 21 currencies of the region, making it less volatile. He says that would be good news for exporters here. You've got diversification uh, amongst the 21 currencies, rather than the situation as it exists at the moment, where you've got the US dollar being the trading currency for a very large proportion of the trade, which takes place within the region. But unlike the euro, it wouldn't lumber countries with an exchange rate unable to reflect their own economic realities. Countries would retain control of their own monetary policy and currency, but trade in the APEC-U as they do in US dollars now. Former Reserve Bank Chief Economist David Mays says the idea faces big hurdles but has some merit. What the people are looking at is how can we find some other universal asset whose value is not going to change too much as we get this slow rebalancing of the world economy. The problem for the Asian countries is that they have a large amount of assets in US dollars, so obviously they're relatively unenthusiastic about devaluing those particular assets. So what they're looking for is smooth change, not um, rapid change. If you then have a basket currency, which is a combination of the uh, US currency, the euro, and some of the Asian currencies as well, then obviously you get a, uh, only a portion of it affected by the ones which are going down. So it'd be much more stable. And that, that I think, is the objective they're looking for. Is there any downside to that approach? Well, it's not clear how flexible it is. I think there would be certainly arguments about what the weights should be and problems when the weights should change because what we're looking at is very different rates of growth in some of the Asian countries compared to uh, Europe and the US. 
might then have some political problems. I mean, China reluctant to do anything that might put further downward pressure on the US dollar when they've got so much of their foreign reserves tied up in the US dollar assets? Well, I, I think the political problems are, are, are obvious at present and exactly as you describe. What people are looking for is something which will benefit their own economies. So what uh, they're all hoping for is a means of changing such that everybody continues to grow in the interim. So that the United States wants to keep growing. The uh, Asian countries don't want to see their growth rates fall. So that they're, they're looking for something which is going to be a win for everybody. But Gary Judd believes that APEC-U could help overcome some of the global economic imbalances that have led to the currency wars, particularly China's massive accumulation of US government bonds, a by-product of its efforts to keep its own currency low, and which the US is now fighting against by devaluing its currency to give exporters an edge over their Chinese rivals. I think China does have to be concerned about the fact that its US dollar reserves are steadily depreciating in value. That has to be something of concern to them. Um, and I, I would suspect that China really would like a way out. Gary Judd says the idea of the APEC-U hasn't yet had a hearing from the region's finance ministers. But he believes comments last month by the head of the World Bank, the American Robert Zalek, backed a similar concept. How else might the evolution of the world's currency system play out? Former Reserve Bank Chief Economist David Mays says the natural evolution of the system has been stunted by the currency wars. The US's economic decline and the rise of China should see its currency replace the greenback as the world's accepted tender. But China's reluctance to allow the renminbi, also known as the yuan, to be traded outside its borders has hindered this. Most trade with China is conducted in US dollars. If the renminbi was allowed to rise to reflect China's growing economic might, then the weak US dollar wouldn't matter so much. David May says the euro's woes also make the transition to the renminbi as the world's new reserve currency more difficult. The problem is that the euro hasn't stepped into the middle, so that we haven't had a, a move to the euro as the main reserve currency uh, in the middle of this. So we're waiting for the time when, when the, uh, the Chinese currency will be more appropriate. And this means that we've got a, an awkward transition where we're not getting out of the old currency very fast. I mean, perhaps if you go back and look at what happened with the collapse of sterling as the, the world's reserve currency, I mean, really the game was over by the First World War, but um, it didn't really uh, feature properly until the end of the Second World War. So, I mean, there was a period of 30 years while there was a slow adjustment moving from sterling to the US dollar. So, with the global currency system in flux and monetary policy seemingly limited, how will New Zealand fare in the currency wars? The Reserve Bank Governor, Alan Bollard, isn't panicking. Really what's happening, of course, is in particular the Australian dollar's been strengthening against us and against everybody else. So that means on balance that there has been some appreciation of our currencies and a deterioration, at least in nominal terms, of our competitive position, but it's not been anything as much as you would believe against the US dollar, which of course is the one that gets mentioned in the media all the time. As to whether exporters in New Zealand and importers can take advantage of that depends where they are, but if they're in a position where they can import in US dollars and export into the Australian market, then actually some of them will be doing quite well. 
Economists often talk about the real exchange rate when rating a country's export competitiveness. A low dollar doesn't do much for an exporter if it's facing high production costs. Taking advantage of the strong dollar now by updating gear or using cheaper imported materials could trim those costs. October trade figures show imports of machinery and equipment are up 16% on the same month a year ago. The question now is how hard will the flying Kiwi hit exporters' bottom lines? It's hard to buy productivity-boosting gear if your business is making a loss. That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Nigel Sterling. It was produced by Sue Ingram. More Insight programmes are available to be downloaded from radionz.co.nz forward slash insight.